Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. So we are in a series called Limits and Lessons. This is the Lenten series, and we've been studying stories of limits and lessons, times when people of God were faced with hardships and they learned a thing or two through that. And that's kind of what Lent is about. It's about slowing down and reflecting on our faith lives. So today, our passage is in the book of Exodus. And so if you want to follow along with me, um, or if you would like a Bible, you can raise your hand, um, which is kind of a vulnerable thing to do. So, But I hope that you feel comfortable. If you would like a Bible, you can do that. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 7, the very beginning of the chapter. And I'm just going to, I'm going to read it for you, so if you want to just hear this. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rapidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? This passage is called one of the murmuring passages in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament because it is one of the many times when the Israelites murmured and got frustrated and fed up. What were they fed up with? Were they fed up with freedom? Well, because they were technically free. They were free from the enslavement of the Egyptians. Remember, Moses had confronted Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, baby, let my people go. Their people, they had been let go. They had freedom. So everything was great, right? Not so much. Moses helped usher them out of Egypt, led them through all kinds of geographical terrain, and keeps up with God pretty closely. Moses and God are kind of like this. Moses has a connection with God that most pastors can only dream of because God gets back to Moses real quick. (laughs) Moses just has to call out, and then what do you, lo and behold, a word from the Lord just shows right up. Isn't that great? I almost imagine if Moses lived in an era of texting and if Moses could text God, 
And you might say that he and God would have always been reacting to each other's messages with that exclamation point reaction. The Ten Commandments and being let out of Egypt, it was an intense exclamation kind of time. Intense times. It was an intense thing to be a people loved and called by God, but not living in the immediate gratification of that faith. Even though they were a people loved by God, they were enduring hardship left and right. And now they are journeying in the middle of nowhere. And this is not glamorous. This is not glamping, okay? Although if you looked at Renaissance paintings depicting this time period of the Israelites, you might be led to think otherwise because European paintings have depicted the time in the wilderness as this glamorous time of leisure and everyone's reclined and Moses is just there. It looks so lovely and beautiful, but it probably was nothing like that. These people were out here roughing it. And the encounter we're studying today is one of those roughing at times when murmuring was inevitable. They're in the middle of nowhere and there's no water to drink, no water. There are no Red Seas to part or floods to survive. It's the opposite problem. There is no water to drink. The Israelites are stuck in the middle of nowhere with no GPS and this guy named Moses who really loves them but also annoys them. And the feeling is mutual. The people annoy Moses. So the text says that they quarrel with Moses. Quarrel. Moses is quick to redirect them and says, why are you quarreling with me? It reminds me of how often in in hard times, we can end up projecting onto our leaders, our worst fears and our frustrations, forgetting that God is in the picture too. Whether it's a politician or a preacher or a parent, we hope for that stand-in person to be able to shout at and be mad at and want all the solutions. A creator figure who could soothe all our problems and concerns. And meanwhile, God is there too, waiting for us to return. But I understand their murmuring. I really understand it. I get it. Because God is seemingly nowhere to be found. Only God's servant is in the flesh, standing in front of them. And that's an easy target for quarreling. It's no wonder we quarrel with our human leaders and figures of authority. Perhaps your child has quarreled with you when there is no water to drink at the zoo, for example, when they really need it. You probably understand the pain of being quarreled at and being the quarreler. It's all the messy part of being human and following God into unknown territory. It comes with the territory, I'm afraid to say. Following God leaves us vulnerable. That's the root of this pain of the Israelites, I think. Smack dab in the middle of their quarreling and murmuring is a yearning for comfort, for God's presence. They're thirsty and they need to know that God still cares. 
I mean, if you ate manna for 40 years, you would be thirsty too. Because according to the, the Bible, manna is like a wafer with coriander seed, which sounds like something you could purchase at Trader Joe's. And it would probably leave you thirsty, especially if you ate it for 40 years. So they, they tell Moses, they get really thirsty, really angry. And in the height of their anger, they tell Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children with livestock and livestock with thirst? And this is a valid, albeit sassy, complaint. It's a little dramatic, okay? Moses isn't trying to kill them. But in their thirst, in their honest lament, in their yearning for a real evidence of God's presence, they just kind of let Moses have it. So then Moses cries out to God, which is the right move. Imagine the dot, dot, dot bubble of a text. Moses is emergently texting God. What do I do with these people? And then he also gets a little dramatic in his conversation to God, saying they are almost ready to stone me. They didn't really say that. They didn't say they were gonna stone him. Drama for drama, it just sort of escalates, right? As human conflict does. You get the picture. This, this congregation of people and her beloved leader are somehow about to kill each other. Or what's more important is that they assume the other wants to kill them. It's assumptions, right? And it's kind of a worst case scenario for a pastor and her church. <laughs> this is when you know things have gone awry, if people are yelling and, and mumbling and there's conflict. So what happens here, friends? What, what does God have to say about all this? Well, the Lord gives direction. The Lord is present. The Lord tells Moses what's to do and it involves striking a rock. God responds to their need and saves the day. And I always picture Old Testament rocks as really small for some reason. Like I picture kind of like a small rock and I don't think that's right at all. I think this is like the side of a cliff. And if you look at pictures, that's more what we're thinking about. Like striking the rock is like a mountain, not like this tiny rock. But regardless of the details, there's a miracle that happens. And out of what seems to be a hopeless situation, God's nourishment flows forth. The chapter, though, ends with a very honest voice of lament. Today we sang a song called How Long, and it's kind of a different song for us to sing. We mostly sing upbeat songs of celebration, but during Lent sometimes we sing How Long. Because, as I said, following God into the wilderness leaves us vulnerable, and sometimes we have to lament. We have to say how long. God's okay with that. In fact, it's, it's a normal part of faith. The end of this chapter, or the end, not this chapter, the end of this passage, verse seven, ends with Moses naming this place after what's happened. And he says that the Israelites said, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? 
We've all been there. Have you been there with that question murmuring, bubbling up to the surface of your soul? We may know intellectually that God is leading us somewhere better, somewhere new, but all we see is dry ground and no water to drink. Our thirst is painful. Our embodied doubt and uncertainty aches, and we need to know more than just a promised land dream that feels sometimes like an empty promise. We need evidence that we are not dying so we don't kill each other or assume the worst about our fellow human. And this can sometimes, in, in the middle of our struggle, lead us to doubt if freedom is really all that it's cracked up to be. Was Egypt really that bad? They might have thought to themselves. And remember, they were enslaved in Egypt. Sometimes we long for the comfort of limits we know rather than the limits we don't know that are uncomfortable. We may stay in relationships that hurt us because these limits are familiar and freedom can feel scary like an adventure that will ask us for more than we have to give. Or sometimes we stay stuck in years of freedom, claiming we are so independent when maybe our freedom really feels more limiting than we might care to admit, and that maybe risking intimacy, the scary thing, is what God's calling us to, but we stay in our comfort zone of all of our freedom, all of our independence. The aftermath of freedom is a nuanced thing. Freedom doesn't always mean the process is over. When you're out of Egypt, it doesn't mean you're scot-free. It means that now you're free to camp in unfamiliar territory <laughs> and you have to keep trusting God in new ways. We also see this in our, our systems too. For example, when people come out of criminal incarceration, sure, they are free. But now they have the limits of criminal records to navigate. The bars around them may not be metal, but their freedom brings new challenges. Is the Lord with us or not? When the Emancipation Proclamation occurred and slavery was deemed illegal, been so quickly. African Americans entered a liminal space, a desert of thirst, as they faced economic challenges during the era of Reconstruction. What does it mean to be free? And then the bonds that were once chains became segregation. Freedom is no quick struggle. It is an ongoing movement. Is the Lord with us or not? A woman who leaves a relationship of domestic violence is free. But now she has to figure out life on her own. She has to decorate the new apartment and reconnect with her friends that she feels shame that she's disconnected from. Freedom is such a powerful, vulnerable risk we take with God. 
And the powers and principalities perhaps want us to forget that a freer world is possible. Isn't it rough out here in freedom land? Don't you want to go back to Egypt? The oppression of the past can become so internalized that humans will cry out and wonder if the pain of the past is better than the uncertainty of the present. Is the Lord with us or not? Maybe, or maybe your faith has led you to a wilderness of sorts. Maybe your faith has changed so much that you feel a bit lost in a wilderness of deconstruction. Once surrounded by a certainty and a thickness of faith, a comfort, you now find yourself wandering the aisles of Barnes and Noble, looking for answers and wondering if any of it makes sense anymore. You long for the days when your faith was more certain and even though it was limiting, it felt comfortable to you. You're in the wilderness, is the Lord with you or not? Keep walking, no matter what wilderness you find yourself in. You may feel that you have left God or abandoned the right way of doing Christianity, but let me assure you, God has never left you. And you are headed somewhere good. Freedom is a process. It shouldn't be this hard, but as long as we're on this side of heaven, we will keep on struggling for full freedom. For all our siblings on earth, for our communities and families, we will keep struggling. Because the truth is that in the end, staying in the struggle with God is always better than staying stuck in limitations that may be familiar but lead to death. The desert, my friends, is better than Egypt. Freedom is better than bondage. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to keep moving towards true freedom in Christ. Freedom for all humans to have clean water to drink. And this may not mean that a miraculous rock ushers out water, but it means that we ourselves are entrusted with turning over every rock of injustice until we find what lies underneath, the good thing that lasts, the good thing that nourishes. We are responsible for reminding the world that miracles are more possible than you might think. Because when people gather and become committed to true liberation and won't let anything stop them, that's just as miraculous as a rock turned waterfall. This season of Lent is really about examining what limits us and what God is asking us to let go of, to travel lighter on the journey. What can we stand to let go of and lay down at the feet of Christ so that our arms are free to hold something better, to hold on to each other, and do the good work that we're called to. Lent is not supposed to be another thing you check off your religious box. And it's not about being better just to be better. 
It's a time to clear out the noise that the world constantly shouts. Get still and be with God. Learn about who God is and what wilderness God is leading you through. It's our forever work to remember that we are part of each other. We are weaved together and we practice the love of God in community again and again, even when it means that quarreling will ensue. And sometimes you gotta get mad (laughs) and say, how long? But then, oh, but then my friends, water does come. We are replenished and then we return to the journey. We love even deeper. God is leading us, life in Debellum, somewhere new. And sometimes in our thirstier moments, we might long for days gone by, the old times when things were more familiar. But what if in this wilderness season, we can trust that God is with us? We can quarrel and be honest when we are thirsty. We can even cry out to our leaders and voice our truest uncertainties. There is space for all of that. But then we can take a deep breath and maybe, just maybe, keep our eyes peeled for miracles. When we least expect it, nourishment comes. The fount flows forth and we are renewed. God has not left us. And the journey is just beginning. Amen.